chapter 24. Because he is risen. Okay, you're paying attention. Great. If singing all that music doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. I was telling everybody when we were rehearsing that those first three songs, I feel like I worked out. I'm like, yes. Whoo. Just pound a lot of pounding there. But excitement. All right. So we're going to read us uh, verse, uh, starting at verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday. So wel- you're welcome. Come welcome here. Um, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. Hello there. Um, he wants to come to the tomb just eagerly, eagerly as well. Uh, so when it says they came to the tomb, this is referring to uh, women who were followers of Jesus, okay? So the wind, these women came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Spices were to prepare a body for burial. And verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And when the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Amen. When we talk about resurrection... We are not talking about what some would refer to as resuscitation. The idea that Jesus, because of the injuries that he sustained on the cross, just simply fainted and kind of went into this coma, mini coma, where people thought he was dead. And then they just put his body down and put him in the tomb. And after a couple of days, his body healed up and he rose again. And, you know, well, he resuscitated kind of. And he turned over the stone and walked down. People said, oh, he's alive again. That's resuscitation. That's not resurrection. When we talk about resurrection, we're not talking about simply like, oh, that Jesus' memory lives on in our hearts. Have you ever been to a memorial service? Oh, that that loved one, he'll live on as long as we, we remember them. They'll live on forever. That's not what we mean by resurrection. When we talk about resurrection, we're talking about someone who is physically dead and now physically alive. Uh, Skip over to verse 36 of the same chapter. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Okay, so uh, among Jesus' followers, there's excitement because of the news that Jesus has risen from the dead. And some of his disciples have actually seen Jesus uh, with their own eyes. And so they're just kind of coming together and they're talking about this. So, verse 36. Now, while they were telling these things, he, Jesus himself, stood in their midst and said to them, Peace to you, or peace be with you. That's an amazing. First words... To his disciples right there, peace be with you. Because you can imagine, after a couple of days, they've witnessed someone that they love, someone that they cherish, someone who they had hopes was the Messiah, the promised king, die horribly at the hands of, of Roman guards and the people of that, of that city. And then he was buried, and then that was it. You could think of how hopeless they must have felt. And here, the risen Jesus comes and says, peace to you. Same kind of peace that God wants to give you, not only this morning, but for the rest of your life. But being startled and frightened, verse 37, they were thinking that they were seeing a ghost, a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still not believing because of their joy and were still marveling, he said to them, 
have you anything here to eat? Because of apparently dying and rising again makes one a bit peckish. Um, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now, what Luke is doing in bringing up all this detail is he's trying to you know, tell us that this wasn't just a shared hallucination of Jesus. This wasn't just a, a vision of Jesus. This wasn't a dream of Jesus. This was Jesus physically with them. This was the resurrected Jesus. Jesus literally died. Many of them who were in this room when Jesus appeared saw Jesus die. They saw it. I mean, his death was carried out by professional executioners. I mean, they don't mess up. Uh, in fact, it, it, to make sure that Jesus was dead, they actually took a spear and thrust it into his side. And the Bible says that a mixture of water and blood came flowing out. Physicians would tell you that that's a result of piercing the, the heart sack. You know, that there's water stored up in there. So that's not an injury you're going to come back from, right? You're going to die from that. Jesus physically died. He was put into a tomb dead, and he was covered with upwards to 100 pounds of wrapping. So even if he had just fainted because he was so weak, that 100 pounds of wrapping, I mean, that would have finished him off right there. But either way, Jesus died, and now he's alive, which is why Jesus says, look at me. Look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. You know, I'm not just a vision, a weird illusion. I, I, I'm real, physical. Then he says, do you have something to eat? And he takes that and he eats it to show he's alive. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, becomes the, the, the centerpiece of, of, of the Christian faith. Let's uh, go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians, we're still in the New Testament, First Corinthians chapter 15. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church located in a city called Corinth. So First Corinthians chapter 15, if you're there, we're going to go ahead and start at verse 3. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, I don't want you to miss what Paul's saying there. Paul's writing this already towards the end of a rather lengthy letter. And already at this point, he's gone through a number of amazing truth. Truth, some instruction, some correction, a lot of rebuke. Okay, this church in Corinth was kind of losing their way. And as good as those commands were, as good as the truth was, that should be heeded, you know, not just heard, but actually obeyed. What Paul's saying is all that stuff pales in comparison to what I'm about to reveal right now. I says, verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And this resurrection was witnessed by many others. He says here, um, and that he appeared to Cephas. That's, that Cephas is just another uh, way of, of, of describing the name Peter. So we're talking about Peter. Peter was a, a leader of the early church. And then to the 12. After he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are, remain until now. That means a lot of them are still alive. They could attest to, to witnessing the risen Jesus. But some have fallen asleep. That's a very Jewish way of saying that they've already passed away. 
After that, he appeared to James. This is the brother of Jesus. Jesus' family did not believe that he was the Messiah. They thought he was out of his mind. In fact, they tried to stop him in his ministry because they thought he was, you know, he was going to get himself killed, including his brother James. And so when you see your brother raise, raise, risen from the dead, that kind of changes your perspective on them, right? It's like, okay, I guess you were truly the Messiah. And so James follows Jesus and eventually becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem. So Jesus appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. What Paul's uh, bringing up here is that Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death on the cross, his resurrection, wasn't just some arbitrary moment in history. It wasn't just random chance. It wasn't just a mistake, but it was strategic. It was purposeful. It was planned. And that plan reaches all the way back into our first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. When you go there and you read, you see God. It says God created the heavens and the earth. God creates this space. He fills it. You know, Out of nothing, he made a whole bunch of something. And God declares it very good. There was nothing out of place. There was nothing, uh, everything was exactly the way he designed it to be and he desired it to be. It was paradise. But then eventually, Adam and Eve um, choose, willingly choose to disobey God's commands. And yes, they were deceived by, by the enemy, by Satan, but it wasn't as if the, you know, Satan was holding, a gun to, you know, was holding them at gunpoint or was forcing them to make the, this decision. Nor were they making this decision out of ignorance. They knew exactly what they were doing. Adam and Eve deliberately chose to disobey, disregard God's law about eating a particular fruit from the garden, from a tree from the garden. And prior to this sin, uh, when we read Genesis 1 and 2, we see that Adam and Eve, uh, including a little bit of, of Genesis 3, we get a glimpse that Adam and Eve's relationship with God was just so close, so intimate, so amazingly close. I mean, it wasn't as if God was just floating around in the universe and occasionally checking up on them, or he was kind of hovering in the atmosphere looking down and saying, hi. No, God was on earth dwelling among his people, walking with them, talking with them. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship was severed. Now, at that moment, God could have easily just snapped his fingers, wiped Adam and Eve off the face of the earth. I mean, he had, God had done nothing but good to Adam and Eve. He pr- created this amazing garden and said, hey, you could just enjoy and cultivate and grow, but they chose to disobey. And God would have been justified to just, you're, you're out of here. But God is merciful. He's a merciful God. And he still deals with their sin, but he decides to give them hope. And in Genesis chapter 3, he promises that one day he's going to mend that relationship that was severed because of sin that he is going to save humanity from the mess that we got ourselves in. He's going to rescue us. And as you continue reading uh, the scriptures, this plan slowly unfolds, and it culminates uh, at at a, a little baby, a little baby boy born in obscurity to two young parents shrouded in scandal in a little tiny podunk town called Bethlehem. And the parents named that child Jesus, which means God saves, because it's exactly what he was going to do. Jesus was the eternal son come into human flesh to live, die, and save us. That's what the Bible says. This was not just random. This was all purposeful. This was all planned. You see, the issue with humanity is not inflation. It's not 
high gas prices. It's not politicians you can't trust. It's not a pandemic. It's not uh, wars going around the world. It's not famines and, and all that. that. Those are just symptoms. You know, wickedness, when we think of wickedness and evil in this world, those are just symptoms to a root problem in this world. The root problem is sin. And for all of us, we're all guilty of sin. The Bible says there is no one righteous, no, not one. I don't care how many good things you think you've done or how moral you are compared to someone else. We've all sinned. And sinning is breaking God's holy and righteous standards. Now, God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And he cannot overlook sin. He has to deal with it. He has to judge it. But here's the thing about God. He desires that no one should perish. In fact, John 3.16, famous passage. A lot of people probably already memorize it. Sums it up really well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus lived the life you and I could never live. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, completely glorifying to the Father. He died and took upon himself the, 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 the wrath, the judgment that our sin rightfully deserves to offer a salvation that for anyone who puts their faith, their trust in this Lord Jesus will receive salvation, receive uh, uh, forgiveness of their sins, not just at that moment, but for all eternity. Sins completely forgiven and eternal life and much more. Look, uh, skip down to uh, verse uh, 20 here. Paul says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, for since by a man, referring to Adam, came uh, death, by a man, referring to Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. When Paul uses that word, that, that phrase, the, or that word first fruits, uh, it kind of goes back to the Old Testament. First fruits were just like the, 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 the beginning, like first offspring, uh, the beginning of, 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 a, of what was pro produced in a harvest. It was to be dedicated to God, given to God as an act of worship. But also the idea of first fruits was um, it was a little taste of what was to come. It was, it was a, a little, the first bits of harvest that would encourage the farmer that more is to come. Something that the harvest, you know, it's just a little taste of what's, what's coming in the future. And, and that, that's exactly how Paul uses this phrase in regards to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection is the, fir the first fruits, a foretaste of what's coming in the future. In other words, there's going to come a time when God says enough. Enough anger or, or no enough enough uh, uh evil wickedness enough uh pain and suffering and addictions and anxiety and depression and human trafficking and wars and diseases enough enough death skip over to um in the same chapter skip over to um verse 52 here, Paul is saying, for those who are in Christ, this is, this is a future. This is something we're looking forward to. This is what's to come. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of, of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, so, I mean, our bodies are corruptible. They're not getting any better. Look in the mirror every year. You're just like, oh, 
doctor's bills proves you're getting corrupted. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible puts on what is incorruptible, and this mortal puts on immortality, a little mouthful there, then will come about the word that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is what's coming. For those who are in Christ, this future is our future. This is what we as Christians put our hope in. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not this, what the world calls this, like this optimism, this kind of like flighty desire and wish that may or may not happen. But as long as there's a chance, there's hope. That's not what the Bible says hope is. When the Bible brings up the word hope, it means a confident expectation. It's going to happen. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is evidence that that future is going to happen. It's, it's coming. It's coming. I, I remember, um, I, I knew of a, a man, his name was Bob. And uh, he was a, a gentle man. He was a kind man. He was a smart man. He loved Jesus. He knew the Bible very, very well. Um, but towards the end of his life, he, he dealt with a lot of uh, health issues that caused him a lot of discomfort and a lot of uh, pain. And, um, uh, but he, it's, it's, it was it fascinated because even in the midst of all that discomfort that he was going through, he never lost his joy. He never lost the peace. I mean, he, he, you'd see him, he'd, hi, how are you doing? And you're like, how am I doing? How are you doing? You know, but that was the kind of man he was. And he would defi- always try to find opportunities to serve the church and serve others and love on them. And, and towards the end of his life, his, his health got even worse and he had to go into the hospital. And that's where he ended up, you know, sp- spending the rest of his days. He ended up passing away in the hospital. Um, and during that time, uh, his health got even worse where the pain was, he suffered a lot. He suffered a lot. Um, and, but yet again, he never lost his joy. He never lost his peace. He never lost his, his smile. I mean, you'd go in there again. Hey, how are you doing? How am I doing? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. I mean, he was honest. He said, there's sometimes I, I feel sorry for myself, and there's sometimes I'm upset that my body doesn't want to do what it wants to do. But he never despaired. And, and the, the nurses and the doctors who, were, who surrounded him were just kind of like, this is incredible because these doctors would, these were the type of doctors who would stay with an individual towards the end of their life. And they were just floored by this guy and saying, you know, how, how is it? You are at death's door and yet you still have joy. You still have peace. What is it? And Bob's response was, well, because I know who's behind that door. I know it's my Jesus, it's my Savior. And one day when time comes, he's going to open up that door and he's going to invite me to be with him forever and ever and ever. And one day he's coming back and he's going to remake this world the way he wanted it to be. And I'm going to be given a new body, free from all pain, from all disease. And I'm going to be with him forever and ever and ever. That's our future hope. And the resurrection is a first fruits of what is to come. It reminds me of what it's like to go with me here. It's like living in Lapine. Okay, okay, go with me. When I first moved up here, everyone told me that Lapine experiences three, three seasons, fall, winter, and August. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Fall, winter, and harvest. Our, our winters are really long here in Lapine. And sometimes they're really cold, really brutal. But I, and I, I've experienced six uh, winners already, and every single one of those winners 
is exactly the same in this respect. Either in the middle of, of winter or towards the end of winter, there's a day or two days or a week, or sometimes even two weeks, where all the, the clouds move away. You know, all the gloom moves away, and the weather gets warmer, 50 degrees, 60 degrees, 65, 70. A couple of weeks ago, it got up to almost 80 degrees. You remember that? And oh, it was a joyous day, right? The day was, it was crisp air, and it's like all these vitamin D deficient pasty white golems come out of our cave, just like, ah, yay! You know, we're all excited, and even the, 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 the birds are singing, and the bees are buzzing. Have you ever seen the, um, the, the old Disney uh, Silly Symphony cartoons, like way back when? Like, there's not a lot of dialogue, it's just music, and everything is dancing, even inanimate objects like tables and chairs and cars. They're just kind of like, yeah, that's how it is, right? For that one week, that one day or, or, or so, we experience this amazing weather, and then what happens? Wham! Winter comes back and says, I'm still here, right? Now, the reason why those, that day or those two days is, is, is so incredible, I mean, sometimes it's a really good day and there's still snow on the ground, but yet people are so happy. Why is it such a good day? Well, it's because it's, it's the first fruits of what's to come. It's a little taste of what's happening in the future. That one day, this long winter that we're in is going to end. And then spring is going to come, and then summer is going to come. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a small little taste of what we're going to experience in the future. That one day, this long, dreary winter is going to be done. And Jesus is going to establish his kingdom in a renewed earth, and it's going to be amazing. But until then, we still live in this winter. So the idea is like, well, what do we do? Well, Jesus promised before he, he, he died, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit who comes into our life. And because uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus resides in our lives. We, which is why he's able to make the claim, I will never leave you or forsake you. That yes, we go through winter and sometimes it's really, really bad. But God's promise is, I will be with you every step of the way. And I will guide you and direct you through my word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will strengthen you and I will equip you to go through this winter. No matter how hard or how overwhelmed it may feel, I'll get you through it. Because here's the thing. The worst thing that can happen to us here on this earth is not the end of our story. The worst thing that can happen on our, in, our, in our lives is not the end of the story. There's a, there's a, this is just the beginning of something even more incredible. That's what we celebrate. I don't know where you guys are at in your faith. I don't know if you're here because um, you're what we call a CEO. You come to church for Christmas. Uh, what is it? Easter and, oh yeah, yeah, you come to Christmas and Easter only. CEO. Maybe you were dragged here to, 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 to Sunday. We're glad that you're here. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, are you going to bow out of excitement, out of joy, that this is my king and I'm a part of his kingdom forever? Or are you going to bow in judgment? That's the question. 
The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a free gift, but the choice is yours. Jesus paid it all, as this old hymn says. Jesus paid it all, and he offers a free gift. He says, okay, do you want it? His desire is that you would take it. And I pray that today would be that day, that today you wouldn't just be celebrating that Jesus is alive, but that you would be celebrating that your life has, has changed, that you who were spiritually dead have now been made spiritually alive. That's my prayer for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe you've, you know, we rejoice here on, on, on Easter, but we have to admit life bogs us down and we get caught in the nitty gritty of life and, you know, and the, the, the joy of, the, the hope of, of the resurrection just kind of fades away into the background. My prayer is that the significance of the resurrection would continue, not just today, but all the way into your next week, into your next month, into the next coming years. As the psalmist says, Lord, give me the joy of my salvation. I pray that you would, re, the, the, that the Lord would reinvigorate the joy of your salvation with the hope that no matter how hard the winter is, spring's coming. And But in the meantime, God's with us, and he'll never leave us. And so, brothers and sisters, because of the resurrection, the, hope, the hopeless find hope, the discouraged find victory, the overwhelmed find rest, the anxious find peace, and sinners find forgiveness. He is risen. Let's go ahead and stand as we continue worshiping the Lord today. We're going to start off by singing a song called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And uh, we're going to sing it in, the, in, in two melodies. One is an old uh, Appalachian melody um, that I believe really fits the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross for us.
Oh, well. <laughs> well, can we sing that song, the chorus? Are you washed in the blood? Come on, you don't need the words. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? See, you guys can do it. All right, well, we'll go ahead and uh, sing this next song. If you just want to listen to the words, it's talking about the Lord is our salvation. If you know it, go ahead and sing. If you want to sit and just reflect on the song, let's go ahead and uh, do this together. Mm -hmm. 